Well, hello. Thank you for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose Podcast. Let's have a look at what we get up to this weekend. I was joined by fabulous guests. Steve Pemberton joined me to talk about The Pillar Man, coming to the West End very soon. Matt Kane tells us about his new book, Becoming Ted, and also about the launch of Virgin Radio Pride on the 1st of June. Nish Kumar keeps us up to date with his podcast, Pod Save the UK. Times radio presenter Asma Mir gives us an insight into her memoir, A Pebble in the Throat. Shashev Martha spills her secrets for the gorgeous Amoretti cookies. And as if that wasn't enough, Maria's got a handful of your dilemmas to solve in Graham's Guide. Here she is now. Virgin Radio. Graham's Guide. Featuring Maria. <sighs> That's really getting on my nerves now, that yeah. jingle. OK, and probably everybody else's. I've got quite a long letter, if you'd like to put your feet up. Your time starts now. Dear Graham and Maria, my sister has been having an affair with a married man for the last three and a half years. They're both in their early 50s, but now, but knew each other in their 20s and casually saw each other on and off. He met and married someone else and they had, get this, a final night together before his wedding. Oh, I feel sick. Almost 30 years later, they reconnected when my sister texted him mm -hmm, after randomly seeing him on the local news. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't say why. Yeah, he's a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> but such was, kind eyes. He was still married with two teenage kids and my sister was in a relationship at the time with the father of her then 10-year-old daughter. After a lot of texting and phone calls, they actually met up and are now in the throes of an affair. She says that she's completely in love with him and they'll try and find a way of being together. But just not now, in inverted commas, she keeps telling me. She still lives with her daughter in the house that she and her ex-partner own. Ex-partner. The man with whom she's having an affair still lives with his wife and one of their grown-up children. Although he says they're not really a couple anymore and have grown apart. My sister says she doesn't want this man to move in with her as it's not fair on her daughter. She also says that she doesn't want to move out from her family home. No, sorry, more importantly, he does not want to move out from his family home and, get this, waste money on renting a flat. So they see each other most weeks going out for drinks, dinner and weekends away. I feel like she's being used by him and is totally oblivious. It's like they're both in this romantic relationship bubble, not fully taking on board how wrong what they're doing actually is. If they truly love each other, why can't they be properly together rather than continuing in this fashion? My sister is one of my closest friends friends and I'm godmother to her daughter. We're all incredibly close family, but this situation is starting to come between us. I'm getting married next year and my niece are, and, and sister are bridesmaids. But the more this relationship goes on, I'm on the verge of stopping contact with her, even though I don't want to upset the family and potentially spoil my own wedding as a result. What do I do? And that is from Sally in Camberley. Oh, my goodness, Sally in Camberley, you have given us all the details there. Do not, this is my first bit of advice, do not break contact with your sister. You will regret it. I think... Here's the thing, Sally in Camberley. They, your sister's not being used. They're using each other for now. But you know what? Sooner or later, the penny will drop with your sister. Because three years, he doesn't want to waste money on renting a flat so they can be together. Uh, what's that going to be like if he gets divorced? 
you know, yeah. and has and to al- pay. And also, isn't that that thing, you know, I wonder if his wife knows that they're not really a couple anymore. It's what married men say. <coughs> Excuse me. It's what married men say. And I don't think, because he doesn't want to waste any money on renting a flat. We want to waste money on an expensive divorce. It's so rare that married men leave their partners. And also, Sally Camberley, I think the thing you've got to bear in mind is your sister started this. Yeah, well, she saw him on the news. We, I mean, that is fascinating. Um, and then decided to text him. And then they're having like so. It he, yes, he may be using her, but she 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 started she, it because her relationship at the time with the father of her ten year old, then now thirteen, um, she was going wrong. So she was looking for an out. Clearly, so she was indeed the instigator. But any man, sorry to say this and get cancelled again, <laughs> will never turn down the opportunity of a free thing mm. uh, and that's what he's been having for the last he's got you know cake and eat it <coughs> yes absolutely manger le gâteau and I do think Graham that the bubble will burst in time anyway you don't stay in the romantic hoo-ha forever you suddenly start thinking what's happening here or the wife will find out and go oi you know that we are actually still a couple and you need to stop that or the wife will find out and go get out of my house yeah and then he'll say oh let's move in together and then she will hate him because uh, he's too tight with money as he doesn't want to rent a flat and when it comes to your wedding Sally uh, those bridesmaids dresses I'm guessing they're not going to be great. <laughs> what, you want Sally to dress them up like little puffballs? And hold your husband close, Sally. <laughs> I mean, it's a really hot... Sally, it's a hot, difficult situation, but I think... But it's not what, yours. It's not Sally's. It's not Sally's, and that's why I think you could just hold back. Be ready to mop up on this, but I don't yeah. think you need to get involved and try and rid it from your mind. You've got a lovely thing happening. This is your sister's thing. I know she's your best friend, but the penny will drop, the bubble will burst and all other cliches that yeah. are and, in the world. And also, I think there's a way of just saying, you know, not saying, but just, you know, your sister must know that you disapprove. I mean, not that you disapprove. Everyone disapproves of this. You're having an affair with a married man. No one's thinking, oh, that's a nice thing to do. It's it, So no one approves. And that will also kind of have that star-crossed lover effect of forcing them to be together. So I think, Sally, you can make it clear that you don't approve of this, but she can still be part of your wedding and your niece can be part of the wedding. Yes. It will be, you know, a terrible blip when it finishes, but finish it will, I'm afraid. And she will either wise up, the wife will wise up, or, you know, he'll get attacked in a terrible way. (laughs) By you, Sally. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, I think... Hang tight, Sally. Uh, uh, So many people will have been one of the people in this letter. The husband, the wife, the sister. I feel like I have been. (laughs) I'm sure I'm involved somewhere. I think I'm the niece. (laughs) Graham Sky. The responses are part one. And my favourite responders today, oh, what a day for it, will be getting a bottle of Waitrose Prosecco. Smooth, fresh, fruity Italian fizz with attractive aromas of wisteria flowers and russet apples. Where? Uh, on the palate, there was a hint of sweet almond, typical of the Prosecco grape variety. This would be perfect as an aperitif or, alternatively, as a mix for sparkling cocktails, such as Bellini's. It is an ad- ideal choice for entertaining. Waitress Prosecco, isn't it? Someone's going to get that. All of it. Right, my first problem was from Sally in Camberley. And it's an odd one because it's not... It's sort of Sally's problem, but it's sort of... Tangential. Her sister has been having an affair with a married man for the last three years. So uh, we were together when they were young. Now they're in the 50s. And uh, they, you know, when he was getting married, they had a kind of a 
a weird farewell fling. Kind of, oh, I'm off the market now. Uh, then, cut to a few, many years later, she saw him on the local news. This is the bit of the story that's really annoying me. I wish we knew why he was on the news. But anyway, he was on the news. And <laughs> she texted him. And now, look, they're having an affair. Um, Sally's sister is separated and lives with her daughter. Um, but the man is still married and living with his uh, wife and one of their grown-up kids. And Sally's getting married and she She's sort of thinking, oh, I don't really want my sister at my wedding because, uh, you know, the way she's behaving is so grubby and horrible. Uh, what should she do? Uh, Alyssa in Cardiff says, it's a very awkward situation, but I think Sally needs to keep quiet and not fall out with her sister over this. Her sister will wise up to him and Sally needs to be there and be supportive of her sister when it comes crashing down. The wedding may be a time that makes her realise that she is making a mistake and won't ever have that with him. And that is true, because the the wedding will be a wake-up call where she looks to her right and left and realises, oh, I'm here by myself because my boyfriend's at home with his wife. Uh, my advice to Sally and Camille is to say no more. Pass no ju- So, just say no more. Pass no judgment on her silly sister and let her get on with it. Indeed, be actively disinterested, as she will not listen to a single word of your advice. Just be there for her when the meteor hits Earth. You're so wise, uh, James in Enfield. Uh, John is in Edinburgh. More red flags in Switzerland and Norway combined. Is Sally projecting her own insecurities about her upcoming wedding onto her sister's situation? Yes, her sister and this guy are behaving badly, but it doesn't actually affect Sally. Besides, her sister is probably better off keeping things as they are than getting any further entangled with him. Let her make her own mistakes and be there to support her in the inevitable aftermath. Isn't it weird that every single person on planet Earth can see... (laughs) where this is heading. But Sally's sister can't. And is that thing... And probably Sally's sister can. She knows this is a terrible thing to do and yet is still in it. Uh, Rosalind. We don't get many texts from Rosalind's. Uh, Rosalind's in Surrey. Have your own boundary about what you are willing to discuss with your sister re her affair. However, let her get on with it. Her life, her choice. All you have control over is you. Love her, yet also love you by being clear what your boundaries are. I've got a good friend who's in a similar position and put discussing him off limits. Works for our friendship. That is a good idea, I think. And, uh, you know, who who better to enjoy a bottle of Waitress Prosecco than Rosalind? Rosalind, sir. Where are you going? I'm over to Rosalind's. She's cracking open some Prosecco. It's from Waitrose. It's lovely. Oh, russet apples on the palate. Virgin Radio. Maria. We were just having a lovely gossip there. Should we just carry on and not bother with this? Anyway. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria. Oh, another married one. My best friend is getting married in Seville this summer. Sorry, I did Spanish. Seville. It's very hot in Seville in the summer. Yeah. Too hot for a wedding. Maybe in bikinis. (laughs) And I'm so excited to celebrate with her and her partner, who I get on really well with. I'm worried now. How well? (laughs) It's so hot. My clothes have fallen off. (laughs) The only issue is that my very recent ex-boyfriend will be there, as he is friends with the groom. We ended on good terms, we wanted different things, but we were together for five years and there's still a lot of residual feeling there. I'm terrified that he'll bring someone new and I don't want to turn up solo, but equally I don't want to drag someone along for the sake of it. 
I've got two months. Should I make a last-ditch attempt for a wedding date or go it solo? And that is from Olivia in Nottingham. Well, now, Olivia in Nottingham, I don't think you should make a last-ditch attempt for a wedding date like a man. I think what you do is, to Bill is lovely, you're going for a weekend, presumably, uh, take a girlfriend. Take one of your, you know, nice girlfriends. You can do that if it's well, a plus know, no, one. No. You know, we're all kind of accepting of anything, but you can do that. And then you take a girlfriend and she can be your wingman and your support. And then what you do is you have a kick-ass, can I say that, um, outfit, you get your makeup done beautifully, you've got your wingman, you put your face on, your game face that you keep in a jar by yeah. the door, and you fake it until you make it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an awkward... There will be awkwardness, Olivia. There's no way around that. The good thing is you're forewarned. So you can, as Maria says, put your game face on, you know, be ready for this, because there's nothing worse than being surprised, you know, being ambushed by this. Yes. I do think, Olivia, I don't think anyone would kind of think you're being weird or paranoid or anything. To just ask your friend, is X... Is he bringing someone? Is it worse to know or worse not to know? Uh, worse to not know. Because then it's a lovely surprise if he's not there or not bringing someone. Um, but, it shouldn't know... be, but it shouldn't be that lovely a surprise. No, and it'll still be awkward right, because okay. they're, they're not together. I mean, when she says they finished on good terms and they were together for five years, you want they wanted different things. I'm guessing from Olivia's thing that she wanted a more permanent thing. And I'm guessing... He didn't, because she still has all the feels. Oh, I said that out loud, sorry. <laughs> uh, I hate that term. That's a terrible thing to say. Olivia's got the feels in Seville. <laughs> the Seville's. The Seville's. She's got all the Seville's. <laughs> in Seville. Um, Olivia, I just think, ask your friend if he's bringing someone, and then at least you'll know. Um, I, he probably is. I think most people, if you get a plus one, you... The, Chances are you probably will bring someone. So, yes, I think Maria's right, though. Don't bring a date because if it doesn't... Make a weekend of it with a girlfriend. Yeah, because... With a, with a wedding also, in between. If he's there with an actual girlfriend and you're there with some guy, you know, and what if you're not getting on with him? It'll just be... It'll double the pain. Yeah, two months to find a date sounds a bit desperado. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you've got a girlfriend who knows all of this story, knows how you feel, has absolutely got you back and will help you out if things get tricky. And, uh, Olivia, I, 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 you know, I would pace yourself at this wedding. This is oh, not don't a, get drunk. This is not a wedding to get drunk yeah. at. I'm thinking an outfit all made of oranges. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Easy you're... to peel off. <laughs> and then you're going with the theme of where it is and an yeah. orange headdress. Oh, beautiful. Carmen Miranda style. Do you know this yeah. is going to be a sensation? <laughs> he's but... he's going to be furious. <laughs> Why did I? Why did, did I, I dump her? her why did I let her go? I mean, upstage the bride, yes, but you know your need is greater, yeah. Olivia. You've got to make an entrance here. Is that dessert? No, it's my friend Olivia. <laughs> Would you like cream with your oranges? My fruit salad. Uh, again, this is one of those things. People will have had to deal with these things. So uh, what should Olivia do? I mean, certainly she must go to the wedding. And it, there's, there is going to be awkwardness. But the good thing is, once this has happened, it's done. Then you've you've done this thing. You've been to it. Because you are going to be part of the same social world if he's friends with this. Yeah, the groom. So this is going to happen again. So at least, despite the bullet, 
and get rid of it. But I think Maria's right. A friend. Just bring a friend and have a laugh. Yeah, have a laugh with a girlfriend. And don't... Uh, Graham is right. You speak from experience. Oh, don't yeah. drink too much. Don't, don't, don't drink too much. because Just oranges. Yeah, because... Orange the, juice. Because <laughs> the photographs... They may last longer than the relationship. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. be careful. Be careful, Olivia. The Responses Part 2 is what's going on now. And again, my favourite responder will be getting a bottle of that delicious Waitrose Prosecco. It's an ideal choice for entertaining. Ask Rosalind. Having a party. Uh, Olivia is in Nottingham and her problem is this. And it's just a wheat problem I feel for her. Uh, her best friend is getting married in Seville this summer. And, uh, you know, she's really excited to go and celebrate with her friend's partner because it gets on well with them as well. The thing is, her very recent ex-boyfriend is going to be there because he's friends with them too. And, you know, it ended amicably. It's not, like, awful or anything, but it was a five-year relationship, so there, you know, there's some just baggage. There's just stuff. It's an ex. So there's bound to be stuff. And uh, Olivia's just terrified that he's going to bring someone new. And she's thinking, oh, do I want to be sat there on my Todd? But equally, do I want to bring a date? I do, what do I do? How do I make what's going to be, whatever she does is going to be an awkward, weird situation, how do I make it a little bit better? Uh, Mark in Bristol, I don't know if you have such a thing, Olivia, but this is a good idea. Uh, take your gay best friend. Oh, Mark's available and loves a good wedding. If the ex turns up with a new partner, uh, we can ham it up a bit. Mark's keen, isn't he? He heard Seville. He's like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, fine. Thank you. I got the suit. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, we'll keep your details on hand. Andy, advice for Olivia. I believe the real question is, ooh, here we go. He's going deep, is Andy. Is Olivia terrified that her ex might be bringing someone else to the wedding or that he's clearly moved on from her while she obviously hasn't reached the same stage? If the former, concentrate to focus on only the joyful, positive aspects of the trip, push your rep reservations to the back of your mind and have fun. If the latter, the same advice applies. OK, Andy, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> there is a shortcut, or you can go that way, uh, you'll end up in the same place. Thank you. Anna, go to the wedding alone. There's no better revenge than showing up solo looking fabulous. Embrace single life and show that you don't need the safety net of a plus one. It may be scary, but it will give you the boost of confidence and independence that you need. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the question is, how many people will Olivia know at this wedding? If it's one of those weddings where you just know the couple and maybe one other person, you met somebody once, then I, I would take somebody. But if you know them all and you're just going to have a laugh and you're friends with everybody, then, yeah, you could go by yourself. Just embrace the single life. Thank you, Anna. Tony says, just take a female friend. You are in the adult world. Face up. And as Graham says, uh, stay teetotal. Oh, I wouldn't have said that. And I know I never said that. I did not. I said pace yourself. Big difference. And once you've fronted him, it'll get easier over time and repeat doses. It will toughen you up. And although it means a bit of emotional scarring, it's life as we know it. Isn't that uh, true, uh, Tony? Thank you very much. Um, I tell you what, because, uh, Mark, I suspect you're not getting a free trip to Seville. Uh, you can have a free bottle of Waitrose Prosecco. There you go. Mark of Bristol gets the Prosecco. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. I am joined now by the man who you know from League of Gentlemen, inside number nine, and now he's in London's glittering West End in the West End premiere of the Olivia Award-winning play The 
Weather Man. It's Steve Pemberton. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, so now you are deep in the throes of rehearsals? Yes, we've got a couple of weeks until the first preview. So we've done three or four weeks. I can't remember now. It's all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> but what's your... You have long... So, OK, let's go with the play first. So this is Martin McDonough. Yeah. And I assumed Martin McDonough, oh, they'll all be doing Irish accents. But no, this play is not set in Ireland. No, not at all. It's set in an unspecified corner of Europe in sort of a totalitarian regime. And um, there's, it's really about an investigation. Uh, there's been some murders and I play a detective, uh, one half of a good cop, bad cop duo. And we're uh, interrogating a writer to see uh, if there's any link between the writer's stories and the murders that have been happening. So you don't know where it's set. You don't even know when it's set, but it's certainly not uh, set in Ireland. And the idea is that so the, the murders are in her books or their books. Yes. Or her uh, stories. In the stories. So they're kind of a little bit Grimm's fairy tale type stories that she's written. And uh, some of those Grimm's fairy tales are pretty dark. I mean, we know the Disney versions of them, but, yeah. you know, for example, in Cinderella, uh, the, in, in the Grimm's fairy tale version, the ugly sisters actually cut their toes off to try and fit into the slipper because they're so desperate to marry Prince Charming. So I think Martin's tapped into the darkness of those stories and that's what we're interrogating as the policeman. Because the, the, the publicity makes it look like it is a very frightening show. Is it frightening or is it kind of like... It's everything. It's, it, it's, it's very funny. Um, as long as you like a bit of dark humour, which of course I do. Yes, you do. And um, it's it's uh, unnerving. It's quite dark, yes. But um, Martin's writing is so clever. If anyone's seen any of his movies, for example, in Bruges or, or the um, the Banshees of Inisherin, or, or any of his other plays, he walks that tightrope between you know you're laughing one minute and then he shocks you the next. So I think it's a it's a great great play. And uh, Lily Allen is in it. And so they've rewritten it for her or they've just said that character's a woman now? Uh, yes, basically done a kind of quick uh, change, <laughs> he for she. <laughs> um, yes, it, it, the, the script, which is, you know, many people's favourite play. It's not been tampered with as a script, but uh, the, the character traditionally... In, in the boring vanilla version of it, is is Yonsville. played. I know, right? <laughs> Stupid. Is, is played by by a man, and and it puts a different interpretation on it. So I can't imagine it any other way. Now we've we've done it with Lily because you were in this play. You were going to be in this play before. Yes, in 2020 it was scheduled for, and then for obvious reasons, mm -hmm. all of theatre got uh, sidelined. And um, I didn't sit reading it every week, thinking, well, you know, <laughs> one day, one day. Uh, but I did say, when you know, if, if if the opportunity comes to stage it, I definitely want to be involved because you don't get writing as good as this uh, yeah. very often. And how far had you done a reading or anything no, the first time? Oh, not at all. Okay. I just I'd met Matthew, uh, who's the director, Matthew Dunster, and I'd met uh, Martin, and we had a, a brief chat about it and uh, they'd asked me to play it and uh, tickets had gone on sale so there are some people out there who've been holding on to their ticket from 2020 who finally will get to see it. Oh, at least you didn't start rehearsing it because that would have been worse. Yes. Oh, I had friends who just opened in plays and did two performances and then they were never done again. I had a friend who was playing a huge role at the RSC in a production that never ever saw the light of day. So we're very lucky. I think they made a sensible decision don't open it until we can all sit together in a theatre. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and I, that idea, because you write so much for yourself, what is it like? I know this is Mark McDonough, and da, mm. da, 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 but there still must be bits where you're kind of like, oh, I 
I think, should those words be slightly <laughs> different? Well, Martin comes to almost every rehearsal. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, back so off, Martin. That opportunity <laughs> is not quite there. Uh, no, I mean, it's, like I say, I do, I do genuinely love the play. Um, he, he has very specific uh, sentence structures and you've got to get commas, italics, pauses, very uh, strange, uh, you know, ways of expressing yourself. And, yeah, I, you know, you've got to learn it right. The worst thing as an actor is to learn it wrong and be yeah. told at the last minute, oh, by the way, you're saying little boy, it's just boy. So I'm really trying to... That's, that's why I brought the script with me now. Any car journey I'm on, I have to go back into it and make sure I'm say, getting... I don't think I've ever interviewed someone who's brought the script in with them. <laughs> well, because when you... I thought you were going to say what's it about, and then I was going to say it's about two and a half hours, which is one of my favourite jokes. But I thought I could just read the back of the script in case... There you go. But yeah. you did it. You did it. You knew it. You knew what it was about. I have done some work on it. Yeah, yeah. You're all about it. Uh, we must mention uh, Inside Number Nine. Has this season finished now, or is there one yeah, more? Yeah, the last one went out on Thursday night. Yeah. Was that wasn't the Lee Mack one, was it? Uh, no, that was the week before. before. Did you did you write <laughs> it knowing that that would cause that furore? Uh, we, uh, explain what happened. Yeah, so that, well, the, basically, we wanted to write an episode which the story happened within a quiz show, so it would be it would look ostensibly like a, a normal half hour quiz show fronted by Lee Mack. And we had a story going through it, but we didn't want people to know it was an episode of Inside Number Nine. So we created a false episode, which is like a Trojan horse, and it was pulled on the night, and we showed this quiz show. So a lot of people weren't sure if it was real or not. And uh, we definitely wanted the first 10 minutes of it to be fairly anodyne, and uh, we didn't know who the presenter was going to be, so we didn't write it for, for Lee specifically, but he came on and worked so hard on that script. And um, it caused... Ructions, yeah, because people really fell for it, and then there's quite a violent thing. Happened. Yes, <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but there is quite a mind blowing, shall we say, <laughs> a finale to it. And uh, some people had tuned in halfway through or just had it on in the background, didn't really realize it was anything other than a, a, a quite sort of harmless quiz show. And then this act of violence happens in the soundproof booth. And um, they, according to the you know, the clickbait websites, the BBC was flooded with complaints. I don't think it really was. I think people enjoyed the... Uh, it was called 3 by 3 so if you had the association with number 9, 3 by 3 oh, a lot of people worked I it out from that. get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great fun. It was similar to a wheeze we pulled when we did our live episode and we created a false thing and it broke down live on air. So... Um, yeah, it was it was great fun and it was great. I watched it going out on social media rather than on the television because that was where the fun was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, those... Are, those ideas, how long do you kind of give yourselves to come up with kind of you? Because you've got to keep it. it what's extraordinary about it is that you're starting fresh every show. Yes. You never give yourselves the luxury of kind of like, oh, should we just use those characters again? Should we, go, <laughs> yeah. should we do that again? They were good. I know. that that That's the hard thing. I mean, the, the joy of it is you can do anything. And, and so if you have the idea to do suddenly do a quiz show, you can go ahead and, and do it as long as you can afford it. Um, no, that one we... I mean, I went to see Reese in Chichester where he was doing a play and we had two days together. And at the end of those two days, we knew we had to come up with an idea because we were running out of time and we went through our books we went through all our notes and we just stuck with that idea we said look it'll be easy just come up with a load of quiz questions the first half will take care of itself and yeah we gave ourselves about a, a week to write that one and um 
And did you also come up with a quiz format? I mean, can, oh, you, yeah. can you sell the quiz format? Uh, we could. <laughs> we have, we've had some uh, some uh, opening offers. The quiz, people pointed out, you know, the, there were some errors in the quiz format. <laughs> like, oh, give us a break. <laughs> but look what happened. Look what happened. Focus on the big thing. <laughs> and, the, and in terms of, you know, being in front of an audience or doing those sorts of shows, where's your, like, where's your pleasure from? Like... In when you're doing Inside Number Nine and you're not getting that immediate... I mean, yes, you're on social media getting mm. that sort of reaction. Mm. But being on stage is a very different thing. Where, where, what, Which pushes your kind of pleasure buttons? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, increasingly, I do love the writing, actually. You know, the solitary away from everyone, just yeah. me and Reese coming up with the ideas. There's such a creative rush that, that you have, as, as you must know yourself, when, when you crack something or when you come up with a, an exciting idea. I haven't done a play in five years, so I've, I have missed that, uh, that live element. And uh, I think, you know, I'm just lucky that I've got all these different parts of my career and different options I can... Thursday night, I was doing the Rocky Horror Show in the West End as the guest narrator. Oh, wow. And being plugged into a musical was incredible. So I don't play favourites. I just uh, feel very, very fortunate that I can have a good variety in, in my working weeks. Did you get your legs out at the end? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, Philip Franks did. Um, but no, there was... Um, I mean, they had a lot of the original cast. It was a special gala night yeah. for Amnesty International. And they had Little Nell there. Patricia Quinn was there. Yeah. Raina Burton, the original Rocky. It was a really fun night and um, I enjoyed it. But it was just an example of the randomness of what what things you can do on a Thursday night. But now you return to the West End in The Pillow Man. Uh, Pillowmanplay.com. That's where you can find tickets. It's at the Duke of York Theatre from the uh, 10th of June till the 2nd of September. Uh, are you going back to rehearsals now? Uh, no, no. Got got the uh, rest of the weekend off. I shall be looking at my script in the car on the way home. <laughs> he really is. I am. <laughs> and uh, back to it on Monday. Is your director listening to this? Is this... <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> he better have that script with him. He does. He does have the script. <laughs> the Pillowman in the West End. Thank you so much, Steve Pemberton, for coming in to see us. And good luck with it. Thank uh, you so much. No, God. So nice to talk Come to you. Come and see it. I will. But my, my, is it too scary for me? No, no, not at all. Mm, sure. Will I spill my Maltesers? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to welcome a friend of the show, friend of the station, indeed, Matt Kane. Hello, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me back. It's always great to be here. Uh, lovely to see you. Uh, we shall uh, a lot to talk about. Let's start off with Dabook. Uh, Becoming Ted is out in paperback now. It's already out in ebook. It's already out in hardback, and it's out in paperback in a few days. So yes, I would yes. love to talk about it. It's <laughs> about <laughs> your time starts now. Yeah, it's a good, it's a quiz show format. Yeah, <laughs> it's about a forty-three-year-old man called Ted. He's dumped by his boyfriend, by his husband, in fact, at the beginning of the book. He's devastated, but then he starts to see that maybe this could finally be the chance to break out, put himself first and in particular pursue his long suppressed dream of becoming a drag queen which he does in his 40s so it was very much inspired by 
The film Shirley Valentine, the TV series Mrs. Maisel, which were about women breaking out of toxic marriages to put themselves first. That was um, my starting point, and I really wanted it to be uplifting, to be inspirational, to make people think that it's never too late to grab second chances. What kind of like 42 doesn't sound very too late at all. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Just starting, you child. Uh, do you, are you like me? Do you find it when it gets to the paperback? Have you sort of forgotten the book? Well, what because, happens because, is you... because it's like you did all the promo and then suddenly it's paperback. It's like, what? what's that one about? I know. Who? I know. What's and it? You're writing the next one. Yeah. Is that, so... where you put, is that where you put his name in the title? <laughs> so, you know, it's about, uh, yeah. It's about 10. Well, funnily enough, I'll let you into a little secret. My title that I wanted was Ted Over Heels because I thought that was quite fun with the drag and falling head over heels in love. But my publisher said, that makes it just sound a bit frivolous and we want to be in Waterstones. There's emotional depth here, so... Yeah, Waterstones (laughs) don't like puns. They don't like... No, they don't. They don't like them. Uh, (laughs) Ted Over Heels is a good... Yeah, if they make make the movie... That's what they'll call it. Yeah, Ted Over Heels. And I like what you've done because I think often in your books the the kind of grappling with sexuality or finding that bit has been the story and that's all dealt with that that's yes, that's absolutely. not an issue here you're starting from a very different place yes absolutely and um it is i mean his low self-esteem growing up gay and being told that was wrong and how that affects him does hold him back but um yeah there's a different focus now and it's it's more about um blossoming into his true self regardless of his sexuality he's dealt with all of that and i really wanted to use drag because, well, I mean, you're the expert with this, but often it's just a bit of fun when you see it in narrative drama or um, there's a focus on the window dressing of the makeup and the hair, all of which is great. But in Ted's case, it's about him being quite down on himself, not having confidence, adopting this outrageous drag alter ego who's called Gail Force because she's a force of nature. And she allows him to access this inner strength he didn't even know he had. So it's a means of him transforming himself into the person he was meant to be, which is where that title comes in, becoming Ted, Ted. the one that we went with. But it's so, like, on Drag Race, what I find is the you're right because you know I enjoyed drags just you know at the end of the night in a pub you know half 11 or whatever on comes the drag act and it's great but on Drag Race you like the transformative power and when you see the the guys you know, doing their little interviews, you realise well, you are a different person yeah. when you do yeah, this. Yeah. It unleashes something in in people. Um, it's And weirdly, it's way more emotional and kind of profound than you think it's going to be. Totally. And I also like the fact that it can be quite kind of naughty and subversive. It shakes up the established order. So it does absolutely make you think about things like gender and gender roles. And, you know, I think a lot of people, it's not just gay men who maybe don't fit into the box we were expected to go into when we were growing up, but lots of people are put into boxes, told people from our background behave like this or women should do that. And actually, I like to think that stories like this can inspire lots of people to live a little more freely. Yeah. Well, look, in America, they've had uh, uh, Massey on Drag Race. He was a a straight man, a heterosexual man. He's a drag queen. Oh, I've Um, seen that. 
yeah. Victoria Scone. Yes, uh, I saw her on UK. Uh, yeah, and, and she was on the the Canadian one as well. Um, you know, a lesbian who works as a drag queen. It's it it's interesting. It ticks locks boxes. <laughs> uh, but now this Thursday, big news here at Virgin Radio. Take it away, Matt Kane. Virgin Radio Pride is back, which we're all very excited Zoo about. Zoo Radio, Zoo Radio. <laughs> it starts with Nick Grimshaw on the Breakfast Show this Thursday at six thirty, and it's going to be even better than ever. We've got documentaries about George Michael, LGBTQ plus body image, growing up queer in rural areas. We're going to have weekly big conversations, all the kind of issues that are affecting queer people now. We're going to be chatting about them across the station. I'm coming back for a completely new show this year, which I'm what? very say, excited say what about. Now? Yes. So <laughs> this year, I'm going to be presenting a show with my husband. It's just a, it's just a way to say my husband. I know, yeah. I know I finally got a man. I need to like make sure everybody knows. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going, yeah, we're going big on this. Yeah, yeah, it's me and my husband. Yeah. Well, it's going to have a special focus on relationships because we are in one, but also because they're so important to everybody, whether it's romantic relationships, relationships with family, um, friendships, relationships at work. And I do think that sometimes with queer people, we're given a bit more freedom to deviate from the template and form new and unique relationships. And there's, you know, people talk about found family and you do sometimes have to work things out um, for yourself. And so there's a lot to unpick there. We're also going to be, one section of the show, we're going to be talking um, to listeners about their dilemmas, their life issues. So my husband, Harry, is a life and business coach. I've had a lot of life experience (laughs) and been around the block and made a lot of mistakes. So we're going to be um, passing on some of the things that we've learned and chatting to listeners about the issues affecting them. So are people going to call in? They're going to email in, and I'm okay. really embarrassed to say I can't remember the email address, but maybe we'll get it, and or on all the social yeah, media are, handles. Look at it, it's like broadcast news out there. Look at them, <laughs> they're in a flurry to find that email address. Uh, wow. Oh, no, someone's moving. Someone is moving now. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we will have the email address before this finishes. on social media. And <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, actually, because, you know, I quite like, in my books... Pride at virginradio.co.uk. Pride at virginradio.co.uk, fantastic. In in a way, it complements what I do in my books because what I like to explore is characters struggling with themselves out of low self-esteem, learning to love themselves, and often they look outside of themselves for somewhere to make themselves right and better. So in Ted, he finds drag. Um, In the Madonna of Bolton, my character looks to Madonna as this kind of spirit guide to make him better. But what they eventually find out is the capacity for happiness was inside them all along. Happiness can only ever be an inside job. And in the radio show that we're doing, we really want to... Yeah, spread a bit of self-love and inspire, yeah. um, you know, pass on some of the les- lessons that we've learned because we've all made mistakes and learned for them. And hopefully things are getting easier for uh, younger gay people because I think, you know, as you were saying, you know, people found families and things and that's because their own families, it was difficult. Yes. And I think as that improves, yes. as people just grow up being gay kids, da, 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 hopefully there'll be less of that stigma, less of that kind of self-loathing and internalised homophobia and everything. And yeah, and things will get better. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I completely agree. And I do think we need to draw attention to the improvements that still need to be made. But I also think when we've lived through, you and I have lived through a lot of the horrors, actually, it's great to be able to celebrate the progress we've made. You know, and I always think with my books, I don't want to be angry and political. I want people to feel, particularly female readers who've stood up for us in the school playground or, you know, those strong female yeah. allies. I want them to feel proud of their role in making the world a better place. Yeah. But also, isn't it the thing that your books, you know, there they are on Waterstones and then a big brand like Virgin getting behind Virgin Radio Pride. Know. You know, know, that, it, it, you know, I know people, uh, there's a, there are parts of the community going, go, oh, it's big business kind of, you know, uh, coattailing and da, da, da. But actually, I think it's important. I think it's oh, a, I yeah. Well, we grew up in a time when you could still be sacked from your job for being gay. So actually, if corporations want to march through the streets at Pride and um, showing off their queer employees, I'm perfectly happy about that. <laughs> you know, some people will be sniffy and say yeah. they're just um, virtue signalling. It's a lot better than what it used to be, isn't yeah. it? Can we get this? Discounts. Uh, that's right. Can we get discounts for Pride Month? Thank you very much. That's all. That's all I ask. Just you know, some equality and a discount. That's that's all I want. Uh, and so your show is on Thursday nights at seven. Thursday nights at between seven and eight. That's me and Harry Glassstone. Um, is that your husband? Yes, it's oh, my okay. husband. Oh, I've got a man. Oh, okay. Did I not mention that? <laughs> no, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't clear. I wasn't clear. Uh, that's great. We should also say that this show. Uh, so this show will be part of the. Virgin Radio Pride schedule while Virgin Radio is on as will the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Cinch obviously as you say uh, Nick Grimshaw hosting on, on Thursday uh, and it runs right through it's, well, to it starts, the end of August yeah it starts on uh, Thursday and runs right through to the end of August and as you say there's lots of uh, information you can go to uh, virgin.radio.com yeah, .co.uk yeah, do, yeah, let's do Docker and you can find all the information there. Matt Kane, thank you so much for giving me to see us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Still to come, Asma Mir has her brilliant new memoir, A Pebble in the Throat, and Nish Kumar keeps us on the pulse of the news in his podcast, Pod Save the UK. But first, here she comes with the trolley now. Martha. Oh, yes. Good to the very last ting. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Happy Sunday to you. And to you. Uh, Sunny Sunday. I know. You oh. bring us uh, delicious treats. Yes, Sweet you looked, treats. You looked unsure then when you no, said no, delicious. No, no, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm of a, I, you know, I don't mind whether sweet or savoury. It's a, it's a treat that I'm interested in. Uh, so sweet <laughs> treats today. Yes. Uh, what have you made for us? So these are soft amaretti cookies. Soft, I'm Now that sounds because you know, I would have thought making is it making them crispy harder or is it making softer harder? I mean, kind of equal, equal, equal. difficulty. I think maybe maybe soft is a little easier actually because it, it doesn't have easier. to be dried out. There's no risk. You just it's as soft or as crunchy as you like. Yeah. So these aren't the ones to put at the bottom of your vino santo or anything. No, these are not the ones you'd put in a trifle or the ones you get at Christmas sometimes in those little wrappers. Oh yeah, and then you set fire to the wrapper yes. and it flies up to the ceiling. <laughs> fun, fun, let's do that. <laughs> I know. <Yeah>. I'll come <laughs> back again at Christmas and I'll make some hard ones. <laughs> and wrappers. Yeah, and really wrappers. yeah, wrappers. Although yeah. I feel like the production team will be freaking out if we're setting fire to wrappers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so soft amaretti cookies, and uh, is there some alcohol involved? There's a little bit, few, a little bit of amaretto, but it is optional. So you don't have to put it in. Oh, really? And there's yeah. So, so like with almond, almond essence, almond. What's the difference between an essence and a flavouring? No difference. I feel like the essence has to be derived from the product itself, so from the almond, whereas I think flavouring can be 
a concoction of chemicals <laughs> that tastes a little bit similar. Yeah, the AI <laughs> of taste. Yeah. Yes. We'll go with we'll go with the essence. Or the extract is better actually than the essence. Oh, yeah, extract. We want extract. Yeah, yeah, top of the range. <laughs> so top- we've got almond extract in these to make oh. them extra almondy. But I think amaretti just traditionally now means an almond biscuit. In the past it used to include lots of um apricot kernels. That's where the recipe originated, with apricot kernels, egg whites and sugar. And they made them into these, but they have that that kind of tanginess, those really crunchy ones you buy. They often still have the kernels in, but obviously that would be a very difficult recipe for us to concoct at home. (laughs) Grinding apricot pits. So we use ground almonds instead and you get a very similar kind of fragrant, nutty flavour and mm, they're just lovely. Now I think they use the apricot kernels in um, body scrubs for showers, don't (laughs) they? Yeah. They love that. <laughs> they love it. Yeah, so not in your not in your biscuit. And these are just are these an any occasion biscuit or are they they're not really dunk in a coffee now, I feel, because they're soft. I feel that they definitely go with a, co- a coffee because they're covered in sugar. In fact, these are great with a, co- a nice black coffee. That's what you want with these. I'm now covered in sugar. <laughs> I feel like I need to apologise. I look for... like I'm a cocaine, <laughs> cocaine addict <laughs> stumbling out of a party. <laughs> it's all the way down your trousers. I'm covered in it. <laughs> So, tell us what you do. (laughs) Open bag of sugar. For these very sugary cookies. (laughs) By the way, delicious. Oh, thank you. Really good. They're a great recipe. They're an Ellie Pear recipe. She always does recipes that help use up leftover ingredients. So, we've taken the egg whites from yesterday and then she's transformed them into something delicious and sweet like a cookie. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, No, because I eat a soft cookie because I like a crunch in my cookie. Mm. But actually, these are quite satisfying. They're very chewy and Mm. mm, they're lovely. They have a little crunch on the outside and then the middle is almost like marzipan, like kind of like gooey, Mm. chewy. Mm. Really, really, really good. Okay, how do we make them? So we're going to start with the egg whites. Mm-hmm. You want to whisk them to stiff peaks. You can use an electric whisk whisk or if you're feeling extra strong and not overcome by the heat like I currently feel, you can whisk it by hand. Okay. Once you've got your stiff peaks, we are going to incorporate into that ground almonds and caster sugar mm-hmm. to make a nice thick batter, folding that in, and then amaretto if you're using it, if not almond extract to really boost that almond flavour. Then it goes into the fridge to chill for 10 minutes and that's the dough done. So it's really straightforward, really simple. Whilst you've got that chilling in the fridge, you're going to preheat your oven, line your baking trays with baking parchment and then take two bowls, one of them for the rest of your caster sugar and one of them for icing sugar because these are going to be double sugared. (laughs) I clearly. So we take the (laughs) batter once it's chilled just for 10 minutes, we take it out of the fridge and then we roll it into little 25 gram-ish balls, about one teaspoon in size. First rolls into the caster sugar, then it rolls into the icing sugar, and then you put it onto the tray. Then once you've rolled all of them in the sugar, they go into the oven for about 20 to 25 minutes. They'll crack, which oh, is quite exciting. Say, so that crackling, you didn't do that. That just happens. No, I didn't do that. It happens in the oven. It's, it's a wonderful thing to, to watch. Wow. <laughs> the way they kind of puff up and then just leave them to cool slightly, but you can serve them warm. They also keep really well because they've got so much moisture from the almonds in there. So they'll keep for a good three to four even five days in a tin. Yeah. I'm not sure they're going to last in anyone's house for five days. Exactly. Yeah, they're, such good, <laughs> they're such a good way to use up egg whites because often there's so many recipes where you end up with excess and people think, I can't bear another meringue. <laughs> I know. I did I did come to work today thinking, I know what's in my future. <laughs> it's going to be a meringue. Yeah. So this is a really nice option and they're naturally gluten-free. They're naturally dairy-free. So you can tick all the boxes. You can satisfy everybody. 
Wow. Uh, thank you very much. That recipe, waitrose.com slash showchef. That's where you'll find that. And indeed, all of Martha's recipes, past and present. You could also check out the visuals of a beautiful soft Amoretti biscuit at Virgin Radio UK. That's how you do that. Uh, Martha Collison, thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a lovely week and I'll see you next weekend. See you next weekend. All right. Thank you very much. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Nish Kumar, hello. Hello, Graham. It's lovely to see you. Lovely, lovely, lovely to see you. Uh, So, new podcast. Uh, It started in May, this month. Yeah, it started, we're we're, uh, we're about four episodes in, um, and um, it's called Pod Save the UK, and I'm contractually obliged to deliver that information, and it is available on all podcast apps. Done. Uh, Yeah, but it is weird, isn't it? Like, these podcasts, like, you know, The Rest is Politics, The News Agents, Pod Save the UK, it's become... It seems like people were hungry for another way of getting their news. Yeah, and I think also the the best thing about it is obviously those poli- those poli- politics shows do huge numbers. You know, lots of people listen to the news agents and the rest is politics. Yeah. And we've been, I don't want to say surprised, even though that is accurate, about how many people <laughs> have been listening to our podcast. And the, the cool thing is you sort of go, I, I think when I was growing up, there was always a sense that people were very disengaged with politics. And for better or worse, the last decade has forced a kind of engagement and you definitely go, well, people are definitely interested in politics and hearing about politics and hearing about various different perspectives on politics. And so what is missing, do you think, in the other ways we get our news, like from newspapers or from traditional media? Is it is it a point of view? Is it attitude? Is it a bit of humour? I think it's probably a combination of all of those things. But I think it's I think the news, like your food consumption, should be taken as part of a balanced diet. So it is also really important that there are organisations like Reuters and the much maligned, much criticised <laughs> British Broadcasting Corporation, which, in spite of a lot of things that are written about it, makes a huge effort around impartiality. Yeah. And I think that it's important that you have those organisations that are, you know, the AP that are de- devoted to impartial news reporting without an agenda. And then I think it's also nice to get more point of view and perspective driven uh, podcasts about the news. I think it's all to be taken as part of a balanced diet. And, of course, we should say it's not just you. No. Uh, it's absolutely... It's not even like you have a sidekick. It's totally you are co-hosting. Oh, it's, it's totally co-hosting. Yeah. It's my friend Coco Khan, uh, who's a, a journalist. And, uh, you know, just sort of I thought, if I'm doing a news podcast, because they asked me to do it, and I actually said to them, I think you should find somebody else. <laughs> but they were like, no, no, we think we'd like you to host this. Um, because it's uh, Crooked Media is a company that runs it, and they're based in the States, and they've been doing a podcast called Pod Save America since 2016, and it was all set up by... Um, former Obama staffers and so when they asked me to do it I thought right if I'm going to do this I need to call my friend who's a journalist and I also had the sense that Coco is she's very funny she really is like she I was well the record was on I was saying like she does riffs like she goes she has you know it's like stand up she kind of goes oh this reminds me of a thing that happened in my life and da 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 I think sometimes we try and pretend that it's a bit of a closed shot we always go no not everyone can do stand up (laughs) and then sometimes you see her and you go well she could definitely do stand up (laughs) oh yeah quite quite funny yeah (laughs) yeah she has like a very um, natural manner and almost like a broadcasting persona. I mean, she has done radio shows and stuff like that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. But I just remember doing book readings for her when we did like an essay anthology called The Good Immigrant in 2016. And I remember seeing her perform in front of an audience and thinking, this person is basically functioning as a stand-up comedian. And in terms of editorial, 
Is it just you and Coco, or are there teams who decide, right, today, this is the story we're discussing? No, there's a production team. Uh, Reduced Listening are a great podcasting company in the UK who Crooked hired to make the show here. And um, we have uh, two producers, Louise and Musty, who have, you know, impeccable BBC credentials. And we have uh, Alex and Dan, who also work on the production side. And so there's a big meeting about what we're going to talk about, what stories we should cover. But you're at that meeting. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you fight for something you can know this is the big story yeah and i think also they're very interested in getting what our opinion on all the different stories and how what perspective we're going to bring to it um because you know it's but it is important that those people do have proper news gathering experience there are i, I cannot restate this i cannot state this often enough there are proper journalists involved <laughs> everyone can relax and you've got uh, experts in or yeah. or people you know who have an informed opinion about things where do you because you're it's early days you know so far, you're what you say four in, four yeah. five, four in. So, are you going to have dissenting voices? Are you going to have people that you don't like on? If you know what I mean? Yeah, I think if somebody, I think it's not necessarily about whether we like them or not, but do we respect what they're saying and do, are they proposing constructive solutions? Because I think the thing with Pod Save America is that those the three guys that founded the network and host that show are ex Obama staffers. You know, they were the communications team in the White House. So they can speak to how a bill becomes a law. They can speak to getting policy and turning it into actual legislation. Yeah. Whereas obviously me and Coco are just two, as my mother calls us, lovable loudmouths. Um, so we're, what we're interested in is getting people in who have big ideas and big solutions to the various problems the country is facing. Uh, and you know it wouldn't sometimes you're you know you're not always going to agree with that what that person's proposing, but it's more about the fact that those people can come in and articulate an interesting idea. Yeah, but also, isn't it? I, it's sort of hard to find the funny if you're, if you, if you're just thinking, I hate the thing you're saying. Well, well, luckily, Graham, I have a lot of practice of making <laughs> comedy from a place of pure hate. <laughs> It's your sweet spot. It's my sweet spot. It's my sweet spot. My muse is my sheer rage. And you hide it well. You hide it well. Uh, This is the thing. I'm actually quite affable. When I'm not talking about politics, I'm actually quite likeable. Yeah, he's okay. He's okay. His neighbours like him. Yeah, my Uh, neighbours do. My neighbours think I'm a very well brought up boy. And this is a big year for you. Is it 10 years of stand-up? It's... Oh, it's long. No, it's like... like I mean, it's like 15 years of stand-up now. Okay. It's a lot. I've been doing this much longer than people think. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing before? Well, I started doing stand-up when I was at university. Oh, okay. uh, you're, oh, you're one of them. Yeah, but I didn't. I'm not one of them that immediately translated into financial viability. <laughs> so I, st- I did gigs at university. And then after I graduated, I thought, right, here we go. Show business. And there was a deafening silence. And so I had, for about half a decade... I had a string of office temp jobs and I, and I was willing to do... I was, like, willing... I basically said to a temp... Can I just say, you're making that sound worse than it is. Yeah. Half a decade. It's five, it's years. five years. Five years. It's five, five years. Five years you did some temp but jobs. But it's a sort of odd, like... <laughs> it's just a sort of odd apprenticeship. Like, the career is an odd one. Yes. Because you sort of... You, you sort of have to... You do an... an an apprenticeship for a not agreed amount of time. You yeah. sort of, some people do it for a year, some people do it for six months, some people do it for 10 years. It, it, there's no, it, it's a weird act of faith being a comedian. You, it, it's a weird expression of self confidence. And did you always do topical stuff? Was that always your thing? No, no, I kind of started t- telling stories about my life and 
I wanted to be a political comedian, but I think I needed to learn the mechanics of joke writing yeah, before yeah, yeah. I could apply it to... I think that's true of everybody. When you start in comedy, it's easiest to learn how to write jokes for a lot of us by just talking about things that have happened in our life yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then working out... But then actually expressing your opinions on anything you take you have to look, you have to understand the kind of structure of jokes in order to execute them on your opinions and what's odd about i suppose your career is as a political comedian it's all been under a tory government yes that's right yeah 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 so do you kind of dread the day <laughs> there's a Labour government? You're kind of like, what's my shtick now? <laughs> I think to be honest with you i think that um i because i grew up so I've done, I've always done political comedy under a Conservative government, but I grew up largely under a Labour government. You know, I was uh, 11 years old when Blair won the election. So I was used to watching political comedy under a kind of Labour government. And, you know, I'm thinking of particularly something like The Thick of It was a, a satire kind of very specifically aimed at not just any Labour, gov Labour government, but that specific Labour government. Yeah. So, you know, people like me will always find a reason to complain. <laughs> That's the true, le the true lesson of the human race, yeah. is there yeah. will always be buzzkills like me. Yeah. And also, every politician will disappoint you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. There is... And, and also, that's sort of part of the process of it. That's part of the push and pull of supporting a politician, then feeling let down by them. And it, nobody is ever going to give you everything that you want. Yeah. And it's interesting, is it, that thing where we were talking earlier about, this appetite uh, in for people listening, but they have yeah. to listen because it's not on... TV, yeah. that this this sort of news gathering, this sort of news presentation, isn't available in those things. Do you think TV will like particularly like you look at the BBC and they got rid of you know the Mash Report, they got yeah. rid of Mock the Week. They must be kind of going. Oh, apparently people really like this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think the funny thing about the Mash Report is that our viewing figures were good and people watched the show. I, I mean, I, I think the official reason that we've always been given is that they needed to make money for... They need to free up money for new shows, which also makes sense. But also, every time the BBC does anything vaguely political, even if it's political comedy... There are a lot of people who use it as an excuse to criticise yeah. the BBC. The, the corporation is under so much pressure. And I think when you put any organisation under that amount of pressure, if you point a loaded gun at an organisation, if you point a loaded gun at a person, they are not going to make good decisions. <laughs> that is just the way that things work. You know, and the pressure that's applied on the BBC and that certainly in a, the last couple of years was heavily applied to Channel 4, you sort of think, yeah, of course, people are going, why are they commissioning this? You go, because a guy is yeah. sat across from them saying, I hope there's a bullet in this chamber. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's, it's a really complicated time to be um, working in public broadcasting at the moment. Oh, bless the way you couch that as if it's a phase. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right now it's quite tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it's built and built and built over the last decade. But we're, I mean, hopefully there'll be, I don't know, what might, what material circumstance might change. I don't know. Maybe in 2024 there might be some opportunity to change some of the material circumstances in this country. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But I, well, I think the thing about the BBC, everyone hates it. I mean, that's yeah. you know they're doing quite a good job because yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. likes it. Yeah. So, you but know. also, you do, it's one of those things where like you do have to sort of stand up for it because we will all miss it when it's gone. Oh yeah.
Yes, we will. Uh, but uh, you can tune in to Pod Save the UK. Uh, Nishikoko's uh, show, it's a podcast. It's available wherever you get podcasts. New episodes uh, drop on Thursdays. Uh, Nishikoko, thank you so much for coming thank to see you so us. Much for having me, lovely, lovely, lovely really to see you. It. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Well, I'm joined now by a woman who knows this building very well. She presents the uh, Times Radio from 6 a.m. Monday to Thursday, the breakfast show on there. Uh, and now she's got a fantastic memoir out, uh, A Pebble in the Throat. Her name is Asma Mir. Hello. Hello. I'm calling it a memoir, and it is. Mm. But how do you... Because I was trying to describe it to the listeners earlier. Because mm. it's like little snapshots, and yet it does have a through narrative. It's your story, it's your mother's story. How do you describe it? What did it start out as? Oh, that's so interesting. I don't know, because memoir, you're right, memoir means so many different things, and people kind of maybe sometimes just expect one person's story, quite linear, kind of, you know, chronological. So I don't know. I suppose it's just kind of what happened and kind of what, what it sounds really, really silly and cheesy, but it's kind of, I suppose everyone, if everyone wrote a memoir, it would be, it would explain who they are and who they are today. And one of the reasons I wanted to write it is because people would say to me, oh, you're very confident, you're very this, you're very that. And I'm, I'm just, I just wanted to tell people that it wasn't always like this. You know, someone who speaks for a living on the radio, as you know, there was a point where I couldn't, I couldn't speak and I couldn't talk to other human beings. And I used to send my mum into the shop to buy stuff because I was just so kind of riven with, I had no confidence, you know, it just been just screwed out of me completely. Yeah. It was hard. And what I found interesting in the story, because I knew some of the background that, you know, there was going to be bullying in it and that sort of stuff. Mm. And you kind of think, oh, this is, this is the story of a child of immigrants yeah. in Glasgow. Yeah. But in fact, your early years in Glasgow weren't like that. They were very happy. They were totally. I mean, I just, you know, I I had a wonderful time. You know, we had a family of six. We had amazing neighbours. You know, we, I had amazing friends. I was in their houses all the time. You know, there were a couple of people who were a bit off with us. But, you know, you didn't really notice that when you were six or seven. You just explained that stuff away. Yeah. But as you get older into your teenage years, obviously it's difficult for most teenagers. And then you start to really notice the difference. And you're told that you're different. You're told, I mean, this is the 70s and the 80s, you know, it's not like that now, but you're told that you are too dark, that they don't want to touch your hands, that that you smell of curry, that you're a bit stupid. You know, there are all these weird stereotypes that were attached to Asian people back then. And is that because like when you're in primary school, those kids hadn't been taught that yet? But by the time you get to secondary school those kids have picked up on the stuff their parents are saying and the stuff their older siblings are saying. Yes, I think it must be that. But also I just think it was just, it it was of the time really because... You try to be as sympathetic as possible and you think, well, if you were living in a majority white country and then all of a sudden people arrived who didn't look like everyone else, you probably would react in lots of different ways, you know, because we're all human and we all have our prejudices, no matter how much we like to pretend we don't. I mean, I have my prejudices. Um, And I just kind of think that um, a lot of children and perhaps some adults reacted to the fact that there was a difference and it hadn't been sufficiently explained to them. Whereas today in 2023, people still might not like different people, but at least they understand who they are, where they've come from and why they're here. Yeah. 
And also, the other thing I thought interesting, because, you know, you hear that word bullying, and particularly because it's a book, you think there's going to be, you know, something, vi- there's going to be violence, yeah. there's going to be something. But actually, it's kind of death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? It's just mm. that all day, every day. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose it wasn't actually violence, it was silence, which is actually the worst kind of bullying, yeah. I think. Um, there was an incident and, and you know, you just ended up kind of being sent to Coventry, you know, for a long time and just feeling... Feeling very lonely, and um, and then my mum wasn't around at the time. She'd gone to Pakistan. Really complicated family dynamic because my little brother is is and was disabled, um, and she'd gone to Pakistan to try and find somewhere for him. And it was just a really really lonely time. I remember thinking, "Oh, this is rubbish." But yeah. There's also a moment in the book where I suddenly realise this is not always going to be like this. I just need to get away from these particular people. Yeah, you know, and I did. I didn't. It didn't mean leaving Scotland. It just meant. Um, I suppose just taking control a bit. You grow up and you have more control over your life. And when did you, how did you get out of the crippling shyness? How did, how did you overcome that? Uh, I think my mum was really patient with me. She was really good and she just kind of, you know, used to just try to talk to me about it. She didn't really understand because she had an amazing childhood. Well, she had an amazing childhood at school because everyone looked like her. But as in the book, it's also her story. She had a yeah. crazy home life going on with... Yeah all these weird overstaying guests, shall we say. <laughs> um, so I w- she was really good at helping me. And then I think when I went away to university, and actually before that, I went to a different school after the horrible school. And uh, I, I just met some amazing new friends. And there's, there's a picture of one in there who I'm still in touch with today, Felicity. She really kind of saved me. Um, and then I went to university and I was just able to kind of reinvent myself to start from yeah. scratch, you know, because I really, there's a passage in the book where I just say, I don't understand how you, how do you live? How do you, how do you make friends? How do you talk to people? How do you go into a room and light it up instead of just everyone going, oh my God, here she is. <laughs> it's like basically the goth, you know, the, just the, just the darkness yeah. has entered the room. And that's how I felt, you know, but that slowly, slowly faded away. And I mean, my first job was reading the news on, on TV in Scotland. I mean, it was just bad. I remember thinking, I don't really want to do this, but I kind of was persuaded to do it. And I remember thinking, this is mad. And have you had, you know, people talk about that that circular moment where suddenly you are this, you know, person on TV. You you know, there, there's, there, whether it's right or wrong, there's yeah. a kind of status involved in that. Yeah. Have you had any of the bullies reach out <laughs> and kind of go, oh yeah, remember we went to school? <laughs> um, no, strangely enough, no, they haven't. They've been very, very quiet. Um, <laughs> but I remember a lot of people like just, just hearing things like, what, really? her you know least least likely to that would have been me and I mean you know this is not a kind of thumbing my nose ha 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 these things just happened for me the success in life is just to be confident and to go out into the world and be able to experience whatever those ups and downs are and I've had plenty of downs plenty of downs especially recently but that's life it's it's your story but it's also the story of your mom so uh, did you just I mean what did your mom reaction to this book did you get because it's so detailed it's yeah. it's told in her voice yeah so um she uh, I wanted to write this memoir and I thought it's a bit boring just to do one person's story and then I was speaking to her and saying mum you never really understood you didn't have this you know you had this amazing childhood where everyone looked like you and you know you had it so easy and she was just like well let me tell you and then she started telling me all this stuff about her life and this very complicated domestic situation and I was just gobsmacked because she'd never told anyone and there's a lot Lots of kind of layers within it and all these like three, there's two or three secrets that are kind of slowly revealed. 
old. Yeah. And um, and I was like, that's unbelievable, Mum, that you never... But it kind of explained a lot about her, how she's a very optimistic person. She she never sees the negative in anything. She just kind of, she wants to achieve stuff. You know, she's very driven. Um, and, and I was always a bit like, well, where does that come from? And now I understand. So my mum was really, really keen uh, when I said, oh, I'm going to put your story in as well. She was because she always wanted me to write a book. You know, she always wanted to do many, many things that she didn't manage to do. She wanted to act and stuff like that. Um, so what I did was I gave her a book and I gave her some subjects. I said uh, childhood, food, uh, family, uh, coming to Glasgow, Imran, my little brother, who's obviously, he's autistic. Um, and then she just wrote stuff down over like a couple of months. And then I said, okay, mum, start telling me. And it was the end of lockdown, actually. So it was on the phone. So my mum's hearing is not fantastic. So that was quite challenging. <laughs> you can imagine just people <laughs> shouting, what was that? <laughs> down the phone. And then I made reams and reams of notes. And then I, I just typed it. I, I kind of made it, you know, I kind of made it into a story. And then I would print it off and I would send each chapter to her by Royal Mail to Glasgow and she would go through it and check that it was fair and accurate. And then she would we would discuss it over the phone and she'd say, OK, in chapter three, second paragraph, change this, change that, change. This. So that's oh, wow. how we that's how we did it. Really yeah. lo-fi, really analogue, longhand. And also... It's so interesting because you know, someone's your mother. Yeah. They're your mother and that's it. That's all they are <laughs> yeah. is your mother. And then you read this and you kind of think that journey to go to meet her husband mm. in Glasgow and get married and start this new life. I mean, it must be like going to the moon. Yeah. The thing is that the way we look at it is, I suppose, very different to how she looked at it because she was so desperate to get away. I think she found everything quite stifling. Yeah. Like she wanted to be a doctor. She wanted to do this. She wanted to do that. Um, but she kind of, you know, wasn't able to because it wasn't expected of kind of middle class girls at that point so the minute she had the she found out that there was some family who were interested and and uh, the man lived in in the United Kingdom in Scotland in a place called Glasgow that she never heard of she just jumped at the chance she was like so excited yeah. and she's always been a bit like that you know willing to try any absolutely anything she wants to travel she wants to try every food she's always been like that and I think that is very much a product of her stifled difficult, um, you know, domestic situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because the book, you know, it is your story, it's her story, it, and it, but it's really intimate. I mean, you really let us in. Mm. I mean, I was reading it yesterday, I was thinking, it must be so weird now that I know who Helen is. Yes. You know, yeah, this woman who looked after you. You know, the, this woman who looked after you, you know, oh. it, and such a, you paint such a gorgeous portrait of her. And what's it like now that it's been published, it's out in the world, and strangers know all this stuff? Yeah, it, that, it, that, I suppose that is quite weird because you, you're just exposing yourself, obviously, aren't you, when you write a memoir um but I thought I kind of I thought on the balance of probabilities that was a good thing to do um and someone tweeted me the other day and they said, and they said oh I really loved your book um not everyone will love it but 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 some <laughs> people do and she said um I really loved your book especially Helen and I was just like it felt really weird for someone to type her name yeah. into Twitter and I was just like hang on a minute that's my Helen but okay you can have a bit of her now as well yeah and yeah, I think yeah. I honestly do think about Helen at least once a week still. And she died in 1996, you know, and I just I just wish that she'd met my daughter and, you know, and everything. She was she was always there. She was there for 28 years. Yeah. How old is your daughter? She is seven, almost eight. Seven. Have you read bits of this book to her or? So she apparently says she's read it all. But I mean, how, you know, because she's, she's a bookworm. She's already been in your book cupboard, okay. by the way, and she's got two books. <laughs> already <laughs> she's just brandishing them at you right now um so when i was doing some earlier drafts i uh, i gave her the paper a scrap paper and i said just use the back 
And then a couple of months later, she said, I did read it all. And I read all the naughty words. And I was like, Ooh, okay. okay. I don't know if I believe her. <laughs> but she ha- she reads like all the Harry Potter books. So I believe her. <laughs> I believe that's the face of a child. You believe. <laughs> Asma Beer, A Pebble in the Throat is out now in hardback. And of course, we haven't even talked about Times Radio, but uh, you can listen to Asma on The Breakfast Show on Times Radio at 6am, Monday to Thursday. Asma Beer, thank you so much for coming thank to see you. us. And congratulations on the book. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose Podcast. Follow us on at Virgin Radio UK on socials to keep up to date. And I'm sure I'll be speaking to you very soon. All well, that's it for now. Bye-bye.